Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning and welcome to Spirit Mornings. You've got Bruce McGregor and... Chris McGregor. And today, Chris, we have with us Dawn Eden. She's an assistant news editor and columnist for the Daily News of New York City, a former rock historian. Her writings have also appeared in National Review Online, Touchstone, People, and her own blog, which is a fine one, by the way. You might want to check this one out. It's called The Dawn Patrol. And Dawn is here to talk to us about her book, The Thrill of the Chaste, Finding Fulfillment While Keeping Your Clothes On. And sometimes the title of a book will tell you exactly where the direction of this conversation is going to go. <laughs> Don, good morning and welcome to the program. What a wonderful book. Oh, thank you so much, Bruce. Chris, it's great to be on your show. Uh, Don, uh, you know, the one thing that Bruce didn't say when he was reading off your, just all the things that you do with your life, is that you probably are one of the bravest women that I no, you don't know me, but I know wow. you. I know a lot of the courage that it took for you, you, not only just to write this book, but how you have conducted yourself and how you've lived your life, especially over the last several years. Uh, you're just truly an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you so so much. I, I, I really appreciate your saying that. I mean, myself, I kind of feel like one of those uh, messy Christians they talk about, yeah. but I'm, I'm really happy if, if uh, any bravery uh, shows through. Well, just for our audience, you may not realize, but Don uh, did a very courageous thing. You were an editor at, wasn't it the New York Post? Yeah, I was a copy editor, that's right. Copy editor there, and a article on in vitro fertilization came up, and you allowed your faith to be the moderator of your of how you directed that particular article, and it cost you your job. Well, that's, tr- that's true, and in my mind, it, it, it wasn't even allowing my faith to direct it as it was having sensitivity for readers who believe that an embryo is a human life. And mm-hmm. it isn't just Catholics who, who, who believe it. There are Protestants who, who, who believe that. There are Orthodox Jews and others who, who believe that. I thought that the story treated human life rather cavalierly. It said uh, this one woman had, uh, had three embryos implanted, two took, and now she has miracle babies. Mm. And I thought, well, they can't be miracle babies if only two out of three embryos survived. Right. So I took out miracle babies, and where it said two took, I added one died. And then in order to explain how that could be, I mentioned in context in the story that in the process of uh, in vitro fertilization, uh, embryos are routinely destroyed. That's scientific information, uh, but it was not information that the uh, reporter or the editors at the Post wanted to be in the story. Yeah, I think I had read somewhere that you made Rupert Murdoch look like a liberal. (laughs) Well, that's a funny thing. You know, people, you know, know that, you know, Murdoch has this reputation of being conservative, but he's really an economic conservative. He's a defense conservative. He's not at all a social conservative. Mm -hmm. Well, you probably would say it's grace, but I I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to stand up and do in your heart what you feel you need to do. And that really is the mandate that the church has asked those Catholics who are in the media and are in a situation to be able to clearly state truth to do that. Well, well, thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. I, I do feel... In a sense, I don't deserve it, but perhaps this has a larger point regarding what you're saying about Catholics in the media, because 
she, in my mind, the most courageous thing that I could have done was to simply have refused to edit the story if I w- was not allowed to make those changes. What I did instead was I tried to get the changes in under the radar without having an editor approve them. And uh, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, I felt I felt bad because we're told to serve our employer as we would serve the Lord, and I wouldn't try to get anything in under God's radar. But I, but 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 after after this. This this happened. I um, I was actually a Protestant at, at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I've only just entered the Catholic Church this year, but I felt like I needed a friend in 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 heaven. This was just before I was fired, but when they were trying to decide what to do with me after I'd made those changes mm-hmm. at the post, and, and so uh, feeling that I needed a friend in heaven, I started praying to St. Maximilian Kolbe, mm-hmm. even though I was very strongly against the idea of, in my mind, praying to dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I started to ask uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe to pray for me, I felt immediately that, that I had been in some way aligned with God's will in a way that I wasn't before. And through um, devotion to St. Maximilian, and just through what I've learned from the experience, I've, I've, I've learned that, you know, if... If I'm ever in a situation like this again, and I need to take a stand, you know, next time, I, if it happens, I really want to take the stand, not, you know, from a point of view of fear, doing like the easiest thing, but sure. taking it more um, boldly and just trusting that God's will be done. Don, that's how it happens, though, for so many people in our conversion, that that moving towards Christ. I mean, that's as you know, that's what conversion is. It's just that continually moving towards him and turning mm-hmm. towards him, that it starts out with those little steps. Mm. You know, and you gradually, before you know it, you're facing him. But it, it takes all those little movements. And I think in the thrill of the chase, which is finding fulfillment while keeping your clothes on, I think you've given an incredible gift to a generation of women and men who have been told by society that there is only one way to live and one way to be able to be happy. And you've chronicled and you've been very brave and you're very open and you share a lot of personal stories in in the book to show how that gradually you move to a totally different understanding. That's right. And I really appreciate your, your saying what you said. It, it, it was important to me that I show chastity as a growth process because society tends to see things in black and white. Either you're participating in the sexual revolution or else you're abstinent. Mm-hmm. And what I was, what I was trying to, to show is, is that chastity is something that comes from within, and it's not just a matter of not having sex, which is what abstinence is, but it's a matter of completely changing your perspective of yourself in, in, re, in relation to uh, other people and not seeing them as objects. Right. Mm. And really, I think, too, Dawn, that society, particularly now as, as we enter the, the 21st century, has really been sold a bill of goods by the culture. You know, all for our sake of argument here, I'll call it the sex in the city syndrome. Just mm-hmm. just the other day, we were reading an article about Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, poor uh, kid. Poor kid, you know, referencing sex in the city. Yeah, she credits it with inspiring her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, just, I, you have to just pray for her because I just see that kid in a parent trap and I just want to say... Somebody grab her and shelter her. Somebody put her in the closet, please. Well, she she definitely needs needs our prayers. And one interesting thing in that interview that she gave, where she credits Sex in the City with inspiring her to date, you know, many men at the same time, mm-hmm. is that she says that she would not 
she would advise her younger sister um, against yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing what she does. That's right. So she knows on some level that it does not lead to real happiness. Yep. Don't do as I do, do as I say. Right, right. Well, you know, and the and the great confessions throughout time, and I think of St. Augustine's, you know, I, I also, I look at your book here, because, again, you are, you share some very personal details about your life in order to help those in your age group, which is in, in your mid-30s, to be able to say, stop, wait. Now let's all turn around and take a look and see this is what the point we're at now. Well, I really appreciate the comparison to St. Augustine because that was the kind of tone that I was trying to strike because if you read Augustine, he talks about, you know, these lurid, you know, things that he participated in, mm-hmm. but it's not written in a prurient fashion. It's not written in a way to just titillate readers. Mm-hmm. It's written in a way to make readers see the, the depths to which he had descended so they could see how he uh, ascended, mm-hmm. uh, how, how he, how he uh, grew into chastity and sanctity. Mm-hmm. And that was the kind of tone that I wanted to strike with my uh, book. I think by sharing and truly witnessing your own story, you show others that you can do this. Why don't you give us a little bit of your story? I mean, what, what led you to this awakening? Well, I grew up uh, in a Reformed Jewish household. My parents uh, divorced. Uh, they they, they uh, separated uh, when I was five and divorced when I was six. And I was brought up by my mother, who became involved in various new new age uh, philosophies. She followed gurus. Uh, she also did a lot of uh, dating, which was traumatic for me growing up, mm-hmm. because it is traumatic as a child to see men wander in and out of your mother's life and to get the impression that men don't stay, men don't really value you for who you are, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that sort of, sort of thing. Um, and by the time I was... In, in my 20s, I was uh, suffering from, de- from depression. Um, I was agnostic. I had pretty much uh, lost, my, lost my faith. And I, I was a rock journalist at, at that time. And I was living uh, in New York City and in a world where, you know, people were just encouraged to follow their bliss, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to be married. And since I wasn't married... I, I felt that if that pleasure had not been given to me, then I should take whatever pleasure was uh, it was there. And so I fell into this lifestyle of cyclical, um, a kind of cyclical casual dating and mm-hmm. and, and uh, premarital sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talk about a comment that John Smark made about you end up with a spiritual bulimia. Yes, well, that's a, that's exactly true because you ingest the experience of being with you know someone you find attractive, but then you you have to expel them from your system because you know this person is not going to want to stay with with you after having you know fully experienced your body outside of a marital you know in, environment, and so you're you're left feeling emptier than before. That's what I mean about it being cyclical. Yeah, I, another thing that I thought was real compelling, it, you really chronicle how you lose your innocence when you learn to detach. It's really true. I, I try to make that point in the book that, it, it, you know, so much of people's understanding of abstinence is the idea of, well, just don't lose your virginity and you're safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, you know, you can wander 
into emotionally and spiritually dangerous territory and still be a virgin if, if you're, you know, looking at other people as objects for uh, your own uh, pleasure. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that living a chaste life is not just for those who are single, but it also is for those who are married, because it's a whole spirituality and how you treat others. Oh, com- completely. I mean, not having been been married, um, I don't think I could describe it as well as you, but my impression of it is, is that in marital chastity, you're, you're uh, very conscious of the, the gift of yourself. That you that, that that you give to your spouse and vice versa, and you're conscious conscious of the sacrificial nature, not in the way that the world looks at sacrifice, which is look at me, I'm making such a sacrifice for you, yeah. the mm-hmm. things I do for you, but in terms of the beauty of being completely open to, as I said, the blessings of another person. Yeah, it's a, a whole mindset that you have to have. It's a whole spirituality. It's a really quite. It's the vocation, isn't it? It's seeking out your true vocation. It really is, and it's just so interesting to see how, in the wake of the sexual revolution, they've tried to uh, they've tried to take away people's knowledge of and understanding of of, ch- of chastity. Um, you know, I, I was I was interviewed recently by a woman who identifies uh, very strongly as a, a, a as a pro-choice feminist, and she kept saying to me, "But can't people just get?" pleasure from sex, as if, like, what's wrong with that? And I, I was so put off by the question that I couldn't answer at the time, but now that I think about it, you know, just framing things in, in terms of just getting pleasure for sex, like, that should be enough. It's just treating one another as one's sex toy rather than as a full and complete human being deserving of love, deserving of commitment. Right. Well, and it's very difficult for women, as you point out in the book, because women, we are created differently, and we have even a hormonal release that, and every time that we have a relationship with someone, there is oxytocin that is released, and there's an actual physical thing that happens to us that we want to nurture, and when you don't complete what your body is preparing you for because you you cut off every time you end up damaging yourself in more ways than just physically i mean it's emotionally it's incredible i mean it's just damaging women you will never feel that completeness because you're not following through with what your design is made for that's absolutely right and and the more that that you have this oxytocin which 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 is which is released when a woman is sexually excited and and as long as you have that and then you don't have the bonding which the body wants to come after it that's why it's that that's why it's called the cuddle hormone mm-hmm. um, you know when you have that hormonal release without anything to satisfy it then you learn to emotionally cut yourself off, mm-hmm. which is, in order to avoid being hurt, which is very stifling and can do great uh, spiritual damage. That's right. So you end up having so many women in their 30s and 40s having had all these relationships and just feeling completely empty. Well, yeah, and I mean, that was, that was what I realized when I began to be chased. I realized that, you know, whereas I had been brought up to believe that having premarital sex would lead to a marriage, I, I, was, I was told that you know, a man really wouldn't want to marry me unless he could try me out first. Uh, then um, what I discovered was, was, was that all the 
premarital sex I, I had ever had, you know, far from bringing me closer to a relationship, actually made me, you know, it made me less, you know, capable of, you know, even sustaining uh, real intimacy. When is it in your life, Don? did you finally make that connection that something had to change? Well, it was before I was a Catholic. It was, um, I had a faith experience in 99, mm-hmm. at the age of 31, uh, when I became a Christian. And then um, shortly after that, I knew that something had to change, but it, it took a long time for me to really practically think about it, because I was telling myself, you know, those slogans like, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, as long as I'm trying to, you know, to treat sex, you know, within the atmosphere of mutual respect, it's okay. But, but eventually, um, about uh, three years ago, I, um, I became serious about it and started really walking uh, the talk, and then once I started dis- to discover uh, Catholic spirituality, particularly the theology of the body, uh, that gave me a, a great deal of, um, of a spiritual foundation for being able to be chaste. Yeah, it's but it's hard though in the beginning. Anytime we try to to let go of something that is causing us, you know, we we call it sin when we when mm-hmm. we allow sin. Mm-hmm. We love that because it is something that we feel we need, and to let go of it and to say, you know, I need to change. There's suffering that happens through that. I mean, it's not easy to begin this walk that you walked. It's not easy at, at all, and uh, it takes a lot of pers- persistence. And it really wasn't until I'd been doing it for about a year and a half, two years, that I started to see real spiritual fruit in terms of my relationships with others uh, deepening. You know, particularly my my friendships uh, became much more rewarding. And I realized that before I was chased, I was even looking at my friends in a different way because mm-hmm. I was looking at them in terms of what kind of roles they were fulfilling in my life. Oh, here's the one I go to concerts with. Here's the, here's the, the one that I talk about boys with. And I wasn't really um, appreciating them for themselves the, the way that I'm going to be you know, able to now. Yeah, and I, I think it's so helpful that in the book you really do give advice to persons who are trying to to make that change you're not preachy at all which is wonderful thank you you just present here is my life here are the things you found strength in not only scripture but again in the teachings of the church Mm -hmm. but you also what i see very clearly is the growth of the holy spirit in you i mean you just really through this whole conversion this turning towards you it was you it was you entering into it but it was the holy spirit really giving you those gifts to be able to maintain yourself so glad to hear you say that because that was what I was hoping would come through the book. You know, I really appreciate your saying that it's not preachy um, because if you've ever read my blog, you know, as I've been working these ideas through on my blog, I've often been preachy because I've been so eager to disassociate myself from my prior views mm-hmm. that, you know, sometimes I've put down people who, you know, behave the way that I used to behave and that sort of thing. And when I was, you know, actually doing the writing of this book, I wanted to do something different. I realized that in order for it to be effective, I had to love my reader. I could not judge my reader. Mm-hmm. So I was writing this every uh, night after uh, coming home uh, from uh, working at, at the Daily News. And uh, I was living in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is a very Italian area, and there are these shrines on the street. And so I would, I would stop by the Mater Dolorosa sh- shrine. I would stop by the Madonna de Martiri mm-hmm. shrine. And I'd pray before each one you know, to Jesus and Mary saying, 
please let me love my reader. And so, you know, I'm very thankful if the Holy Spirit comes through on the pages. I think that's the gift of the journey that you've been on because I think that's spiritual. You're maturing in the spirit. You're, it's a, a spiritual maturity. Mm. Don't you think? I mean, I mean, isn't that some of the giftedness and some of the consolation that you've gotten as you have grown in this this new spirituality? I agree. I, I think that you know, it, it, it's all it's all come from from the Holy Spirit, and it has come as a result of my going from what I call being singular in the book, which is being single-minded in pursuit of the man who will make me happy, to being singular, which I describe as living out all the, the, the graces that, that one has been given as a person, as, as a woman. And I try to distinguish that from other philosophies that talk about just being the best person you can be from the point of view of, oh, who cares about men? Just enjoy life. You know, the truth is, you know, I, I do care. I do want to get married. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to waste these graces that I've, that, that, that I've re- received. And so, and, and so in order for me to, without those graces, I have to take the focus away from this unseen man and put the focus on, on God and, and on, you know, being the person he wants me to be. Uh, Don, let's t- talk a little bit. I mean, I think often we hear the terms abstinence and chastity kind of put together or said in the same term, although in, in looking at your book, you kind of made a personal differentiation between the two, don't you? Yes. Yes, I do, because I think it's it's very important. I mean, you can be abstinent and not necessarily be chaste. I recently started dating someone, and he shares my faith, he shares my striving uh, for chastity, mm-hmm. and you know, even though we've been abstinent, you know, I find that I have to bat away to this, you know, temptation to fantasize about him, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, fantasizing about him just sort of treats him as fill-in-the-blank sexy male, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would be possible for me to have the same fantasies about, you know, my idol Orson Welles, Circus Citizen Kane, or something. Right. <laughs> you, know, you could put any person in the sure. in the role, and it wouldn't be, you know, the man, uh, the friend I'm dating. And so, you know, I think it's very important to be aware of where you're coming from spiritually, not just, you know, in terms of what your actions are physically. I should let anybody out there who's reading the book, Dawn doesn't advocate that you join the cloister, unless you feel you're called to. Mm. But, I mean, you, you point out that you have to get out of the house. you got to be a part of the world. That's right. You know, I mean, you're very, uh, again, concrete in some ways, because you say, you know, join book clubs, get out, do sport club, get out and meet people. Right, Talk right. to the waiter, go to the same restaurant and get to know the people. Don't become a hermit. That's not at all what you're advocating. Be out in the world. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is that we're called to be salt and light to the world. And part of becoming singular as opposed to single is being able to spread that salt and light and to get away from the feeling of incompleteness. I mean, incompleteness is part of what everyone, male and female, married and single, has because it's the feeling of the God-shaped vacuum where you can you can fill it with marital companionship to some sense you can fill it with faith, but we're, we're built to have a certain kind of longing. But in order to live out the graces you've been given, you have to stop acting out of that incompleteness. 
I have to tell you, Don, uh, Bruce and I both, uh, Bruce programmed has rock radio for how many years, Bruce? Oh, since back to 1968. Yes. Wow. And, yeah. And <laughs> I'm, I'm 10 years younger. I'm an old spud. Anyway. <laughs> but it, it, I came up the same way. My first job was in record stores and I worked for radio stations. And the, the thing is, you get to know that particular lifestyle, which are these icons of society. And, and for our generation, a lot of the rock singers, rock bands, and you look at their lives and boy, look how happy they are and let's emulate them. And the thing is, now that I'm 46, I can turn around and I look at their lives. And the only ones that seem to be healthy and happy are those who have found a relationship and are married and the everyone else just seems to have almost self-destructed oh it's absolutely uh, true and you know i noticed that myself because i spent years as a rock historian uh, i i was the last person to interview harry nilson mm. and i interviewed brian wilson and so many others and i, I found you know just such a difference uh spiritually and even in terms of you know physical health between the ones who had found a spouse and stayed with that spouse and the ones who had just uh, rambled. Yeah, who tried to find happiness mm-hmm. in somewhere else. And it's that same old adage, going back to St. Augustine, you're not going to find it anywhere else. There's only one place that you can go where you'll f- truly feel whole. Mm-hmm. And from that, and that's what I think in your journey, it sure seems like you are someone who has matured. Your eyes have just opened to heaven in so many ways because you've allowed, I keep going about talking about grace, but it just seems as though you're allowing grace to kind of just infiltrate your heart. And I think you're going to need that because just from what I can see, this, your message is one, especially coming in from New York. Mm-hmm. I doubt that you're getting, um, as if you get as many accolades, you probably get as many criticisms and they're probably not so nice. Well, you <laughs> get criticisms and uh, sometimes I, you know, I feel bad because I feel like, you know, I wish I were, you know, faster on my feet with some of these, you know, interviewers who are con- contrary, um, not, sp- not, sp- not speaking of, of you, of course, but, mm-hmm. but of, uh, you know, some of the ones who are coming at me from, you know, the, the pro-sexual revolution perspective. Sure. But I, I guess even if I gave them a perfectly articulated defense of chastity, it wouldn't affect their views of it. No, and maybe the reason they would attack you is because what you're telling them is that their life is a lie. And somewhere deep down, they kind of know that already. Yeah, and in terms of telling them their life is a lie, what I'm really repeating is what Christopher West said about sex outside of marriage lying with the body. But that's the Mm -hmm. last thing that people who are in favor of of, uh, non-marital sex want to hear. And there is good news because even though this is written from a woman's perspective, there are men out there, aren't there? that, uh, you know, are chased. I'll I'll tell you something, you know, and this is, you know, in case I ever get invited out to Nebraska, where I would love to go, by the way, any priests, any diocesan people or uh, or, um, bookstore people listening, please send me to Nebraska. But um, when I give my readings, the audience is about half male. I just wish that Catholic uh, women, (laughs) or just women in in general, knew about that because (laughs) they would uh, come to my readings if they knew. Well, you have some big fans out at Girls in Boys Town because the message that you have is one that they've been trying to communicate for years. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so that's so great. I I'm really happy to, to hear that. And I, I have been ha- been having women uh, come to, come to my readings as as well, which is which is great. But you know, the, the fact is, 
like I said, the audiences are about half male, which tells me that somebody needs to craft a message on chastity uh, for men that's like the one that I have for women. And the thing too, Don, is that, again, there are some that do go out with that message, but they're tailoring their message to the teenage, young adult mm-hmm. audience. And you really are speaking to uh, that a different generation. Again, the women and men in their in their 30s and 40s. And as I read it, I mean, this even has a message for us who are married. Seriously. Wow, I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah, I, I really feel like the abstinence movement has kind of left uh, people in their 20s and 30s for, for dead, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like they've just given up on reaching people once they've actually started being sexually active. And I feel like it's when people are sexually active that they need the chastity message the most because, you know, that's when this, this sexual activity, you know, outside of marriage, you know, really becomes uh, emotionally and spiritually damaging. I think it was Kristalina Everett, we were talking to her once, and she said that there is a point where, for her as a young woman, that once you've lost your virginity, well, you're broken. There's no going back now. And there, you, you know, there's a perception that somehow, now I've cast my lot, this is my life. And it doesn't have to be that way. Not at all. And I think that, you know, in, in a sad kind of irony, you know, that's what the uh, post-sexual revolution culture wants you to believe. They want you to believe that, well, you're off the wagon, you can't get back on, just, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy have, having a premarital sex. Um, whereas, you know, the truth is that it's, it is possible for people to change. Again, I think you're one of the bravest, wisest women I've talked to in a long time. And I thank you. And especially living, I mean, you are right there in the heart of New York City <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a place where this, I guess, here in Omaha, you'd, you'd think that you're kind of, well, you're right there where Sex in the City is located. So it can't be that easy. Well, it's not that uh, that easy. But, but, you know, once you start to live as a singular people, once you start displaying substance, people of substance find you, and, and, and that's a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well said. Well, Dawn, we want to thank you for writing the book and for spending some time chatting with us and our audience about it. Dawn Eden, everyone, author of the book, The Thrill of the Chaste, Finding Fulfillment While Keeping Your Clothes On. Uh, Dawn, we really appreciate your taking time this morning. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you so much for having me.